Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right. Well, we went from frost warnings to high 80 degree weather. We never had spring and we're straight into summer. And here to talk about news following the Memorial Day weekend. It's This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn, here with my colleagues Chris Warnowski, Laura Johnston, and Jane Cahoon. Did you guys all have a great weekend? I did. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> you just can't wait to get back to <laughs> the work week. And now it's over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right straight into summer. All right, let's get started. Can Jimmy DeMora be freed from prison now that he has been diagnosed with the coronavirus? This was a kind of a sad story because a federal judge has been worried about people like Jimmy DeMora, who has got health issues and is of an age where he's vulnerable to the coronavirus. The judge wanted him out of the Elkton prison. He's still there because the prison is defying the order. And now we learn he has the coronavirus. Chris Wernowski, can can anything be done to help him? Well, as of today, as of this morning, uh, right now he's going to stay in the jail. So to answer your original question, um, he's not going anywhere for the time being. This is according to his attorney. So we, we learned about this Sunday, and Eric Heisig spoke to David Mills, one of his attorneys, and they're basically saying they're shifting their efforts from trying to get him released from jail or from prison uh, to making sure that he gets the proper treatment for the virus that has killed nine people in the Elkton federal lockup. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's stuck there for the time being and we're kind of in a holding pattern anyway, because of this, this has turned into quite an involved story because, you know, the Supreme court is now involved in this fight that, that began after the ACLU asked the federal Bureau of prisons, uh, to release a bunch of people and a federal judge here in Cleveland basically said there's, you got to identify everybody that's at risk. And they found something like 800 people in the entire Elkton facility that qualified. But now the Bureau of prisons is saying it's impractical to put these people on home confinement and everything. And so Jimmy was one of those people. But let, let, let's take it back. I mean, there were people that have argued that the 28-year prison term he got for being so corrupt is too much. There are many that believe it was justified because it sends a signal to other people not to be corrupt. But, but it was never supposed to be a death sentence. And with his age, he, and he's obese, and he has health conditions, or he was when he went, he really is the, the poster child for those who are most vulnerable for this. The only thing he's not is 80 and older. So right. for him to get the coronavirus, it's a very serious health threat. 
yeah, he they he might get better. You know, you hope he gets better. But but they could have avoided him getting it if they just moved him to a different prison. Don't do home confinement. Get him somewhere else where he won't be so exposed. And they've defied they've defied this judge every step of the way. When did this actually begin? Was it early April that the judge started to say, hey, we got to get these people out of there? How long has the Bureau of Prisons defied the judge? Uh, yeah, it's been several weeks. And, and so, you know, it, it's I mean, this is it. Space is limited. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of issues that the Bureau of Prisons has that are are legitimate. But I, you know, I feel like this is the responsibility of the government. You know, they're supposed to take care of these inmates, and this is shining a brighter light on like an issue that is persistent in our federal prisons and all prisons and all jails, which is, you know, there's a lot of shipshod care that goes on in these places. I mean, Elkton alone was so bad that the Ohio governor had to send the national guard in to help provide medical care. They had something like, they were like 50% capacity for their medical staff. And, and so, you know, people who don't pay attention to these issues tend to believe that these things happen, you know, in a vacuum. They don't, these are things that are just, they happen all the time. And so this, when something like this happens, it just, it exacerbates an already serious problem in prisons, which is people don't get proper health care. Prison populations are aging at a, at a huge rate and, and it's creating a huge health burden for the government. And so, but you know, there's also the Bureau of Prisons lack of accountability. We talked about this when Frank Russo, the other leader of the corruption in Cuyahoga County, was released from a medical prison where they had almost no coronavirus. We we were confused why he was getting out and DeMora was in this much more dangerous prison and was staying in. And we get very little from the Bureau of Prisons. There's there's very little accountability. It's almost like we need to go to the congressional delegation and ask them if they're going to hold the Bureau of Prisons accountable for the citizens of Ohio that are in so much danger. Well, and, you know, the Bureau of Prisons is sort of a, it it is an agency within the Department of Justice, which is, you know, know, we're in a period now where there's a lot of, there's more political influence and, and, and sort of malfeasance within the DOJ that, that this sort of tracks with that. But, it, as long as I've been a reporter and, and, you know, we're going on 20 years now, I hate to admit, but, you know, they've never been a very responsive bureau. You know, they've never been responsive with records. They, you know, they, they don't. It, so it's like a lot of this isn't surprising. Like, OK, but but, 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 but it's just it's it's so it's it's it. There's so much urgency here that just well, doesn't seem to be addressed. This case will put a spotlight on them. There are a lot of people in prison. Nobody knows who they are. But it's safe to say Jimmy DeMora is one of the best known people in Northeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. So people will be paying attention to how this comes out. And really, I don't think anybody wishes him suffering like this. I mean, there are still people that debate the sentence, as I said. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is Metro Health bucking a trend and giving its worker raises during the coronavirus pandemic? This story was a bit of a surprise because the other hospital systems in town are being much more stingy, even though the New York Times reported the Cleveland Clinic is sitting on $7 billion in investments. Laura Johnston, what's Metro Health doing? So they're going to give approximately 4,000 frontline non-union workers a 2.25 pay bump for the last 12 pay periods of this year. And that's thanks to a grant from the Metro Health Foundation. That's the nonprofit 
which raises money for the system. This grant will give raises to nurses and support workers. It doesn't apply to executives, researchers, and providers, and it doesn't apply to union members because they already received a contractual increase this year under their collective bargaining agreement. University hospitals in the Cleveland Clinic are not giving No, it's actually the opposite. Um, At UH, merit-based pay raises are delayed at least until the end of the year, and the system isn't matching retirement account contributions through the end of the year. At the Cleveland Clinic, merit increases are also suspended. And the reasoning for that is that while there are coronavirus cases that the hospital is dealing with, all of those elective surgeries stopped in March, and they get a lot of of money from that, from insurance companies, and people kind of stopped going to the doctor. You've heard Mike DeWine talk about this at his briefings, that people weren't going for well checks and vaccines for children. And so they've just seen a, a big decrease And some places have even had to furlough um, nurses. You know, I get it with university hospitals, they're, they're, they're a little tighter, but the Cleveland Clinic has a ton of money and they actually got more as part of the CARES Act from the federal government. I mean, they got, they're a nonprofit. They're not supposed to have tons and tons of revenue. And they had, as of last year, $7 billion in investment accounts. I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't loosen those coffers a little bit to take care of their staff, which is putting itself into a great deal of danger trying to save us all from the coronavirus. Is the, was the clinic offered much of an explanation on this? Or do they just say, oh, well, our revenue's down, so we can't give raises? No, they just gave a statement to reporter Emily Bamforth, but they were ready with it. I think they knew that she was going to be asking. Um, so they just sent that out. Well, I mean, we'll have to see what happens with the rest of the year. But you're right. Um, I, I think the clinic, if they continue to fundraise and we get letters from them asking, you know, to donate, why would I want to donate if you can't even help out the the frontline workers who are working for you? Well, the New York Times did a story over the weekend where it profiled large hospitals flush with cash that got CARES Act money, while smaller, poor, poorer hospitals didn't get any. And the Cleveland Clinic was one of, I think, the nine that were profiled. There were others that were for profit, but they were listed as a nonprofit with a lot of money. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is wearing a mask or not wearing a mask a political statement? Governor Mike DeWine is trying his best to get everybody to wear masks. He's been overcome by the the huge political divide we have in this country where every issue gets polarized. Jane Cahoon, what's the latest development in his efforts to get people to put on the masks? Well, so we're used to seeing Mike DeWine a lot on national TV lately, and we're also used to him in Ohio talking about the importance of wearing masks. But on Sunday, he was on Meet the Press, and he got a bit of national attention for for his remarks about this. It, it was prompted by Chuck Todd asking him about a comment that another Republican governor had made, Doug Burgum of North Dakota, who, who made a rather passionate argument for mask wearing. And he said, it's really a senseless dividing line. He said, if somebody's wearing a mask, they're not doing it to represent what political party they're in or, or what candidate they support. They might be doing it because they've got a five-year-old kid who's going through cancer treatment, or they might have a vulnerable adult in their life, you know, who they're trying to protect. Anyway, so Chuck Todd asked him about those remarks specifically, and DeWine said that Governor Burgum is spot on, and he said that this isn't about politics. It's, It's not about whether you're liberal or conservative, left or right, Republican or Democrat. And he said, you know, studies have shown this works to protect people. And 
He said, this is a time when we're, we're all in this together and what we do directly affects other people. It's about helping people. It's not conservative or, or liberal. You know, we talked about this a few weeks back about how the people doing the protests and and the anti-man, it's a tiny faction. There's not a huge groundswell of support for it. The polls all show people support it. But because they've been so vocal, it's managed to polarize us once again <laughs> on an issue as basic as as health. I mean, it's, it, I'm just kind of stunned that. Well, you can see it right in the in the state house. Excuse me, Chris. You could see it right in the state house where the man who leads the Ohio House, Republican House Speaker Larry Householder, doesn't own a mask. He he won't entertain a request from Democrats that that masks be required during these proceedings where they're all back together again. And they talk loud. Chris Wernowski. So like one of the things that we have to be careful of when we talk about this is, is that we, we tend to frame the anti-mask protests as something that is authentic. And these protests are seeded by right-wing groups. It, it, these things are very inauthentic. There's even a term for it. It's called astroturfing. And so what happens is, is they take advantage of the fact that, you know, you're not going to see a protest for people to wear masks because people are being responsible and staying the hell away from each other. But, you know, you have to be very critical of, of how these things are starting to sort of foment because you're starting to see a lot of, of really sort of far right speech enter into this, this thing. You're seeing, you know, armed intimidation at state at government buildings you're seeing a lot of the same things that you're seeing you were seeing at like charlottesville and the same the same people and the same type of messaging so you know it's a political statement in that you know there are are very savvy sort of political people that are making like pushing this sort of messaging that you know you're seeing you know these online personalities that are going in and trying to to sort of stir up trouble in stores and stuff like that. And, you know, it's right. The whole, I'm not a, I'm not a sheep and all that. You know, you found an article last week that was interesting that back in the 1918 pandemic, there was an anti-mask movement. Yeah. And, and it's look, we, since the first European set foot on this soil, we have been a, a nation of people susceptible to this sort of stuff, whether it's, you know, through snake oil, through the Pentecostal revival, you know, we always sort of tend to sort of gravitate as, as Americans toward easy fixes and, and people, you know, these heroes that are going to come in and save us. And, and it's, it's a pattern that we repeat over and over. So this anti-mask movement that, you know, which is, you know, kind of tied loosely to anti-vaccination groups, to these 5G conspiracy people, it's look. It is as about as American as apple pie. Wait, but wait. <laughs> Aside from you know all this fringe stuff, we have the president, you know, not wearing a mask, and as I said, the House Speaker not not wearing a mask, and so they are they are leaders in this state and in this nation. And you have Mike DeWine, you know, laying a wreath on Sunday at the state house wearing a mask, you know, so what are people supposed to take away from that? Yeah, I know. It's the pandering to the groups that Chris is talking about by political leaders that makes this 
an unusual time. I can't imagine any previous president doing what Donald Trump is doing with regard to masks and scorning the people that are that are trying to prevent this virus from spreading. It's a scary moment. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What's the latest on the capacity of intensive care units in Cuyahoga County? You know, we're just over uh, past Memorial Day weekend. We've all seen pictures from places like Lake of the Ozarks where people did not do social distancing or anything close to it. There are a lot of people that believe with the reopening of the states and the socializing that takes place on a weekend like we just passed, we'll see a surge. Chris Warnowski, do we have much room in Cuyahoga County if we see a surge of of, uh, serious coronavirus cases? So as of last week, hospitals in Cuyahoga County um, recorded the highest usage of intensive care beds since the coronavirus outbreak began in Northeast Ohio. So uh, on Friday, they reported that 77% of the available ICU beds were filled as a Friday, which marked a 5% increase over the previous week. So, you know, it's a little distressing, you know, to read this on a Friday as the, the holiday weekend opened up and, and, you know, everybody sort of started to try to, you know, push their lives back into the normal category. So. Right. So if we have, yeah, I mean, look, they, they, everybody has said that as you reopen, as, as people start to return to some normalcy, there will be an uptick of cases. I mean, there's that that will not be a surprise. It's the degree of that mm-hmm. increase of cases. And it doesn't sound like we have a whole lot of capacity for much of an increase if we're at nearly 80 percent of capacity. Yeah. And and so and it's also worth noting that ventilator ventilator usage also went up by 1%. So, you know, the it, it was Dr. Heidi Gullet, uh from the uh, Cuyahoga, she's the medical director of Cuyahoga County, and and her her quote at the end of Courtney's story, I'll just read it verbatim. She said, "We know that as people interact, as we see some leakage around the social distancing guidelines, where people are not doing as well as they could with wearing masks, keeping their distance, and staying home while sick, it will inevitably result in more cases." So. This is, you know, as you said, this is not a, a matter of if more people are going to be hospitalized. It's a matter matter of when and to what degree. And it's interesting because over the weekend, I, you know, you even see news outlets saying like people are returning to normal after the in, in post pandemic America. And it's like nobody's declared this pandemic over. We're not post anything right now. We are still right in the thick of it. And it's- well, you know, when, when the political leaders shut everything down, it's because people weren't aware of what they had to do. Masks weren't being recommended yet and all the procedures weren't in place. But, but now that they figured that out, they've given everybody the benefit of the information they need to protect themselves and to protect others. And all the businesses that are reopening are doing so with certain protocols. At a certain point, this becomes about people self-selecting themselves for the virus, right? I mean, if I go to the Lake of the Ozarks in a massive crowd, I'm pretty much saying I'm willing to get the coronavirus because I know that that's, that's the wrong thing to do. And the same thing at Edgewater Park, which they had to close down at some point this weekend because it was becoming too crowded. You know, it's, at some point, we are a, a, a society of freedom and the government has armed us with the rules and the guidelines to carry forth. If we ignore them, isn't it kind of on us if we get sick? 
Right. Yeah. But, but, oh. <laughs> can, I, can I say something? This is yeah, Laura Johnson. I think, I think you're right, but I think that there are people that don't want to be in that situation that may find themselves there without thinking, without knowing how to deal with it. Like my neighbor went to Put-in-Bay. She's gone every summer. And so, it, you know, it, it holds a special place for her. She went one day with her son and the ferry, they limited the number of people on the ferry, but then everybody kept crowding her. She kept having to move. And she was joking that she's going to bring two pool noodles and like hold them around her. So it's like, don't get within six feet of me. And she was wearing a mask. She said maybe 10% of the people on the ferry were wearing masks. And yes, it's outside. But but, but Laura, let me push back because yeah. I would argue that just going to Put-in-Bay you know you're taking a risk. Yeah, there was a story. I mean, there was a story over the weekend that said we that, that we've all been turned into actuaries. That everything we do now, we're assessing personal risk. Go to the grocery store. You wear a mask. You maybe wear a face shield. You you wipe your stuff down with a disinfectant. It's a fairly low risk. But going to Put in Bay, that's not a slow risk. There's no way that getting on a ferry in an, in an enclosed space with other people, no matter how few. Is not a greater risk. So your neighbor knows I, right I off agree. the bat. I agree with you. And you have to calculate that. But if you if you follow the rules, you may feel that other people should be following the rules. And it's disheartening to see, and we've discussed this before, this this era of we don't have the feeling of solidarity. We're all in this together, that it is turning people into an us versus them. And, right. and maybe people would feel safer doing things they love to do, even if it is a little riskier than staying in their house, if other people also respected the rules. Right. I don't and know. It's, it's, it's like, it's, go ahead, Chris Warnowski. Well, but it, again, to sort of build off what Laura said, you, you know, we talk about health in terms of personal responsibility. You know, if I go out and I, and, and I do nothing for my heart, if I go out and I just eat like crap, I, I, I don't exercise. I, I live a sedentary life. And, and and I have a heart attack, that's an issue of personal responsibility. If I do all those things and you had a heart attack, if I could somehow magically give you a heart attack, then it becomes a kind of a game changer. And that's what, you know, I feel like so many people forget about this. Is that right. Like, if, like right. What you're so doing, you go what to, you're doing doesn't impact you at all, really. If it's you go really to the grocery bad. store and somebody crowds you, I get it. That That is somebody that is doing a behavior that puts you at risk. What I'm talking about is going to pools, going to Put-in-Bay, sending your kids to summer camp, that that you know there's a much bigger risk of exposure there, and that if you really don't want to get the coronavirus, you would choose not to take those risks. That This would be the summer that your risk would be you put in a backyard pool, you do backyard barbecues, you go to the grocery stores when it's the least crowded in hopes of having that, that lack of crowding. I'm not arguing that that there are other people that can endanger you. What I'm arguing is that there is a level of personal responsibility. And getting on a ferry and going to Put-in-Bay is a much bigger risk than staying home and barbecuing in your backyard. Right? I'm not gonna argue. Right. I am not going to argue that. No. Argue. Yeah, you're, you're right. Okay. You're listening to the speak <laughs> of the CLA. <laughs> Will my gym, fitness center, or pool open today? This is the big day for openings in Ohio. The governor waited until after the Memorial Day weekend, probably with some strategy there because he knew people might not behave completely. So a lot of things are opening today. Laura Johnston, what can we expect? 
Well, it's up to your gym, obviously, if they open. But yes, today they can be open. Um, Julie Washington had a great story that ran uh, this morning and talked to Orange Theory, which is a popular kind of very prescribed workout facility. And they practice performing temperature and symptom checks on their members. They're going to only open the doors just five minutes before class starts so you don't get crowding, people waiting around. They, they're going to have floor decals that show people the six-foot difference. Uh, distance between them. So those those people are set to go. They are opening. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with pools because lots of cities are not opening pools this summer because they think they're going to lose too much money on them. They'll have to keep capacity so low. So Cleveland's keeping theirs closed. Avon, Mentor. Um, it'll be interesting to see who opens. But isn't it partly that they don't see a real easy way of maintaining social distancing in a pool. I mean, we've talked about this. I have no idea how you can keep a pool safe. Yeah, I mean, no, it's a good question. There's not a whole lot of um, information from the state on how to do it. My sister's joining a pool where they're having a reservation system and you can reserve a couple of hours so many days a week. And that way they're going to close in between those reservations, clean the pool and let a new set in. That's one way to do it. I have not heard from Rocky River. Our but, pool. But, yeah. but how does that work? So do they put ropes up so you each get six feet of pool space to splash in? Or <laughs> do they do they set up lanes where there's distance between the lanes so that if you're doing laps, you're not within six feet of somebody doing laps in another lane? I, I just, how does it work that you can right. accommodate any more than seven people at a time. No, I think you're completely right. I was thinking about this and I don't think I've gone this long without swimming laps in like 25 years because it's just been a part of of what I do. And so if they're really going to keep the six foot rule and then in a six lane pool, you could get three swimmers in it, three, because you're going back and forth. You'd have to close the lanes in between. You can't share a lane. I have absolutely no idea how they're going to manage this. I mean, the deck seems pretty easy. You just space out the chairs, tell everybody they have to be in a chair. Um, They're going to be closing some, you know, restroom areas. You can't have a lost and found, which seems like a good idea. Uh, You can't use saunas or steam rooms. But yeah, the pool itself, that, I don't know what it looks like. The gyms, I have, I bet they do it because everybody there is interested in their health. They're all going to follow the procedures. So the gyms, you can see it. That's easy. Um, you know, capacity could cut into their income a little bit, but I, the pools, we'll have to see. I can't wait to see how the experience is, or if we get photos and it looks like the Lake of the Ozarks on Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Okay, here, this next question is going to be one that's good for debate. Should American businesses be protected from coronavirus lawsuits by workers, or should the workers be protected from unscrupulous employers? Jane Cahoon, Sherrod Brown has a clear point of view on this, but so does Mitch McConnell. And surprisingly, they're on the polar opposites of the spectrum. What's going on? Go figure. Go figure, Chris. Yes, Mitch McConnell, along with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, you know, business groups like that, they want protection from lawsuits during this pandemic because they say it's needed so that critical manufacturers who produce things like food and medical equipment and life-saving drugs can continue to operate. And they're concerned about employees bringing uh, lawsuits over coronavirus exposure and product liability lawsuits. Like let's say they shifted their manufacturing to make ventilators or hand sanitizers, and they don't want to be held liable for that. It's kind of like a good Samaritan thing. But Sherrod Brown, 
points out, he, he says, this is nothing but a blank check giving corporations the, the right to abuse workers. He's, he plans to introduce, along with Elizabeth Warren, a um, bill that would extend the amount of time that work, workers could sue for employers who violate labor and employment laws. And Look, we've heard from a lot of workers that are nervous about going back to the workplace. If I told you tomorrow, hey, guys, our office is open. You have to come back to work. You'd all be nervous about it. I mean, we all would. It's like, right. whoa, am I going to get the coronavirus? So, and, and, and we've heard from workers during the reopening that have said, my employer is not taking precautions. So Sherrod is definitely representing that side of it. Why would Mitch McConnell want to exempt those unscrupulous employers who are not protecting the workers from being held accountable? What's his argument? Well, his argument is that, you know, employers are taking a risk. As I said, like maybe they've shifted their production to make things they don't usually make and they they need protection. That's his. I'm not making the argument. I'm just saying that's that's what his argument is. And he's very pro-business, as we know. And Sherrod Brown is very pro-worker. So they are definitely colliding on this issue. So if a company in Mitch McConnell's world, if a company started to make masks, that had some kind of fiber that got released. I breathe into my lungs and it gives me lung cancer. In Mitch McConnell's world, the mass company should not be liable for that. <laughs> Evidently so. Evidently so. I don't know that he was presented with that specific scenario, but that's where he's coming from. But, you know, groups like Public Citizen are on, are on Sherrod Brown's side saying, you know, the pandemic isn't an excuse for, for giving businesses free reign to, to violate you know, workers' rights and, and expose them to danger. I mean, you look at these stories we've heard out of the meat processing plants and, and so right. forth. So, you know, so he it, thinks the meat processing plant should be protected from claims by workers that say that the conditions here are terrible and we're all getting the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, I, I, evidently so. And, and Sherrod Brown says we should be making it easier, not harder, to hold corporations accountable to Is, keep workers safe. Is this is this more about the, the the fear of unscrupulous lawyers that look for gotcha lawsuits that 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 can cost companies a lot of money? I mean, there there is a pattern in America of lawyers finding kind of cheesy ways to to hold people accountable. Is this more a protection from that that Mitch McConnell's looking at? I'm having a hard time understanding why you would pass this law to to protect employers who do bad things. Right. That could be a factor. But, you know, it seems like they should find some sort of middle ground here, like perhaps require employers to follow safety standards and protect workers. But, you know, do something to preclude, you know, frivolous lawsuits. This is Chris Warnowski. I, you know, I think that what you just described, Chris, is sort of like the the mentality behind decades of attempts to do like large scale tort reform. And, and so this, this seems like a very good opportunity. I mean, they've been trying to slip this indemnifying businesses into a couple of the stimulus bills, I believe if I'm, am, am I right about that, Jane? Yes. And that's what they want to do this next time around. Is put right. it in there. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we, we t- always tend to frame this as them protecting the company, the company, the company, but what in reality, this is protecting the insurance companies that insure the companies. And so, you know, we, you know, we tend to we tend to frame it as, you know, something that affects the company. But really, this is 
you know, the, the, the end result of like, you know, the power of American insurance companies and, and how much, how much they don't want to start having to pay out claims related to this issue. But maybe Jane's right. Maybe if you came up with a middle ground where you follow, you know, a whole bunch of the basic rules and you've provided social distancing and barriers between your workers, maybe you could do something that sets some kind of limit. But I just, we will see unscrupulous employers. I mean, a lot of businesses work on a fairly slim margin and spending a huge fortune to protect people from the coronavirus probably is not financially feasible for them. But I, I just, this is a bit of a surprise and it seems like Sherrod at least has a, has the right thing in mind here. It's this week in the CLE. Okay. We, uh, we went long on a bunch of questions. We don't get to the, to some of the others. We'll save them for later in the week. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Laura. Thanks everybody for listening this week in the CLE will return tomorrow. 